We are just going to do a fairly short message uh, today, and we're going to focus in on one verse, which I think there's almost no discussion about it. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. It was mentioned already uh, by Susie in her testimony, the most famous verse in the Bible. So famous, I think, in some ways, because people keep putting it on signs and holding it up at like, big events. So sporting events and when there's big crowds, sometimes you'll see a sign lifted up with John 3, 16. And that's the most well-known verse in the Bible. We're just going to think about it and look at it together. Uh, I was reading about uh, one chap who, uh, I won't name him because it's an American sportsman, so most of us don't really know much about American sports, but he actually had it written on his face in one big game that he was playing, uh, John 3.16 under his eyes, and apparently during that one game, as it was being televised, 94 million people googled, what is John 3.16? That's got to be one of the most successful sign holdings of all time, hasn't it? You imagine. So what is John 3.16? It really is the whole Christian message in a single sentence. It's like the message of the Bible in a little capsule form, encapsulating it for us. Let me put it up on the screen uh, so you can see it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now we've been in a, a, actually a series over the past few weeks called Uncontainable. We've been thinking about how Christianity keeps on spreading. For 2,000 years it's kept on spreading. Lives keep being changed by the message of Jesus. And what we've just witnessed out here, so fun and such a, a joy to be here, but this is a really serious thing. When people say, I'm with Jesus, there are many places in the world where being baptized would cost you everything. To be baptized and to declare, I'm with Jesus and I follow him and, and I'm a Christian. In some places, it costs people their jobs. It costs people their families. In some places, it costs people their lives. And you think about that level of opposition where people would get killed for becoming a follower of Jesus, it kind of doesn't make sense on a human level. Why would you then? If it's going to cost so much, and, and if there's so much opposition and there's so many obstacles and so much antagonism, then surely this thing's going to die out, isn't it? For the vast majority of the last 2,000 years, for most people in most of the world, becoming a follower of Jesus and declaring that publicly has not been something that others would celebrate. It can be very costly. And so why is it that this message about Jesus is so uncontainable? It's not possible to squelch it and stop it and, and kind of get rid of it. It just keeps on spreading. We've celebrated six people today declaring that in the past they've chosen to follow Jesus. Even while we were doing that, there are people all across the world for the first time putting their trust in Jesus and becoming Christians. It's happening constantly. Why? Why is this thing so uncontainable? So if you want to, you can go back on YouTube or on the, on the website, whatever, and find the previous three messages. I'll just give you a nutshell right now of what we've said already. The first week, we thought about why. Why does this message have such a huge impact? And we focused in on the fact that it's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. 
that, that's momentous. It's, it's history changing, history shaping who he is and what he's done. And then we thought for two weeks about how does this thing spread? How is this message going from person to person? Because most of the time it's not someone stood at the front and preaching. Most of the time it's conversations. It's people watching a friend and saying, something's changed in your life. What's going on? And then that friend giving their testimony and explaining that Jesus has changed their life. And then the friend kind of goes, well, I need to find out more about this. And then people investigate and they decide, you know what? I'm in too. I want to be part of that as well. And so this message keeps on spreading. So we thought about why. We've thought about how. Today, if this is part of the series, technically it's not, but we're, we're saying it is, then really it's what? What is the message? What is this thing that keeps on spreading? And, and just to keep it real simple, we're just going to look at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice four words in this sentence. The first one I want us to, to notice is the word loved. For God so loved the world. Now, we can become over familiar, can't we? we? Maybe you've heard the Bible a lot, you go to church a lot, whatever. If you're coming to, to this kind of fresh and you're not used to, uh, to quoting this verse from memory, that's actually really surprising. If you think about God the way our culture tends to represent him, the way he gets portrayed on television, he's sort of like a distant, angry headmaster, right? Sort of just desperate to spoil any fun and stop anybody smiling. You know, and if you have fun, he's ready to smite you. And so there's this kind of uh, antagonistic view of God that he's just angry and just desperate to judge everyone. That's the way the world tends to think about God. When you start reading it, when you start investigating what the Bible says, perhaps you read the book of John, for example, you discover, yes, God is powerful, and yes, God judges sin, but God is driven by a heart of love. That's quite surprising. It's quite different than what you might expect. God loves. In fact, God so loved this world, which means all of us, all the people that make up this world, and whether you like it or not, you're part of it, right? You're here. You're part of this world. God so loved the world that it drove him to do something. Now, why, what kind of love is this talking about? Well, it's not enough to just say oh, he really, really loves. You've got to see what he therefore does with that love. God so loved the world that he had some nice thoughts of it. That'd be kind of a bit wishy-washy, right? And so what? God so loved the world that he sent a card. That'd be tremendous. You know, everyone loves a card that they handwritten. But no, God so loved the world that he gave. And so God's love drives God's giving. And what is it that God gave? I mean, God who created everything could, you know, give a nice harvest or he could give nice weather or he could, you know, give a spectacular rainbow or something. But no, it says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Now, if we had time, we could go back and read the verses before this, and you'd find that Jesus has been in a conversation with a, a guy called Nicodemus. We'll call him Nick. And Nick was super impressive. All right, He was rich, he was powerful, he was a minister in the Israeli government, probably the minister of education. He was the teacher of Israel. Okay, so he had influence, he had power, he could, uh, you know, he walked into the room, everybody knows, oh, look who's arrived, you know, he was significant. But when Nick came to Jesus to have a conversation with Jesus about God, Jesus very graciously looked into Nick and said, well, we can't really have that conversation. We can't really talk about God and God stuff because all of those things that seem so important to you add up to nothing. Just because you're influential and educated and powerful, just because you, you can quote the Bible, just because you're looked up to doesn't mean that you're somewhere with God. From God's perspective, Jesus was looking at Nick and he was saying, there's nothing in there. There's there's an emptiness inside you. You're designed and created to have the very life of God in you, but you're empty. You're just dead on the inside. And so Jesus and Nick had this conversation where Nick ends up saying, so what do I do? How do I get it? How does it work? And Jesus explained to him how to receive the life that God created for all of us to have, but that none of us naturally have. Right? We're all missing something, and we kind of know that because everything we try to do in this life sort of falls short. Have you noticed? No matter what you buy, what you bought it, it's not quite as perfect and as satisfying as you thought. No matter what achievement, no matter what promotion, no matter what you know, accomplishment or award, whatever you kind of aim for and strive for, it tends to sort of fall short. You go, it's got to be something else. It's going to be something more than this. And Nick was full of that emptiness. And Jesus was inviting him to receive life, the life that God wanted to give him. And so what does the verse say? God so loved the world, including Nick and including you and me, that he gave his son. Now, why is that a significant gift? You see, in the verses before, Jesus has already explained that he, didn't, he wasn't just on a sort of a day trip to earth. He wasn't just coming to have a look. God had sent him into this world to become one of us forever. Jesus is forever human, and he's become forever human because he was on a mission to go to a certain point in time, a certain place. The most familiar image of Christianity is the cross. The cross was a Roman form of execution, used for the worst common criminals. It was a hideous way to die, but Jesus came into this world knowing that that was where he was going. That was the mission that his father had given to him. And so Jesus lived and did all the stuff that he did and his teachings and his miracles. You can read all about it in the, in the books here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But ultimately he was going to the cross and he knew that that was his mission, to go and to suffer this horrible, horrific execution at the hands of the Romans, to pay a, a penalty for all that was wrong, but not what was wrong with him. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He went and paid the penalty for our sin. 
for all the things that we've done or said or thought of doing or thought of saying or wished we'd said, all the stuff that is kind of on the inside and kind of yucky and kind of embarrassing and kind of don't want anyone to know, but I just had this thought, all of that, Jesus went to the cross and had his arms stretched out and he was nailed to the cross and he died this horrific death like a common criminal, but he died it for us. And so when it says God so loved the world that he gave his son, he sent his son, he was giving, sending his son in order for him to come to this world and go to the cross so that God, who is a God of justice, can never be accused of letting things go. He can say, no, no, no. These sins, every last one of them, of these my people, have been paid for. Paid in full. And so we thought about that with the baptisms. These people are not saying, hey, look at me, I'm perfect. They're saying, no, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins need to be forgiven. And I know that I can never take care of it myself. But I'm on Jesus' team because Jesus took care of my sin for me. Being a Christian isn't about being better than others. It's about knowing how bad we are. And knowing that God has provided the solution for us. God so loved that he gave his son. I wish we had time to think about what that means. The fact that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three gods in one, three persons in one God, I should say. And the Trinity has existed for all of eternity. So just to try and give us a glimpse of this, try to imagine that for all eternity, when nothing existed, when nothing had been created, God the Father was completely and utterly satisfied by God the Son. And for all of eternity, when there was nothing else to look at or be distracted by, God the Son was absolutely thrilled and delighted and satisfied by his Father. And that relationship by the Spirit as they love one another for all of eternity is the most beautiful and most wonderful reality. And out of that love, God created this world. And then we messed it up. But out of that love... God gave his son. That love has spread in our direction and Jesus has come into this world in order to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can ask him to forgive us and to bring us into that forever family that is God himself. The embrace of the Trinity has reached out to embrace us. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's the message that keeps on spreading across the world and keeps on changing lives. That we, despite all that we've done and said and thought, despite all of the guilt and shame and all of the, the stuff about us that we're embarrassed about, despite everything, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. What's the result of that? Well, the second half of the verse where it says that whoever believes in him should not perish. This is an offer for everyone. Whoever believes. Now, you might be sat here saying, well, I'm not really much of one for believing. Believing is a little bit religious and I'm a little bit not religious. And so that's where I'm out of here. Well, hang on a second. You are a believer. You do put your faith in things. 
I was watching when you came in, not everyone, that'd be weird, but I was aware that as you came in, you went through a process of deciding to sit on that chair. You may not have thought about this consciously. Some of you probably did, and you know, that's, that's fine. You're allowed, we're allowed to be different. You know, maybe you looked at the chair and you thought, rigid plastic, I know the composition of that. That's pretty strong. Or maybe you're an engineer and you're like, yep, yep, that's solid. That's designed for stability and strength. Maybe you had this whole internal monologue with yourself. Okay, maybe you didn't think about it at all, but you've sat in the same kind of chair many times. Probably not consciously, but subconsciously, there's an evaluation that that piece of plastic is going to hold my weight for this next hour and a bit. And then, without even consciously thinking about it, you chose to risk absolute humiliation. <laughs> Think about it. If you'd have sat down and it had given way in front of this crowd, I was checking over here that there wasn't a broken chair just because I knew this illustration was coming. That was a spill, so that was fine. But you imagine if you had sat down and the legs had gone out and you'd gone flat on the floor. It happened to me a few weeks ago at a church meeting in Tim's garden. I don't know, I should have researched that chair a little bit more before I sat on it. I survived. There was grass underneath. But but you see, all the time we're evaluating and making decisions, is this strong enough? Yes. And you plop your weight onto it. And it, it's never given away yet. We've never had someone collapse on one of these chairs yet. And, and in a way, what God is saying to us through John 3.16 is this. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Here's the invitation. Will you be one of those people who believes or has faith in or trusts that he can hold your full weight, not just for an hour during a service, but the full weight of who you are, the full weight of your life, not just for these years, however many you get, but for the whole of eternity. You see, God has showed us his love. And as we investigate it, you can read about it in here, you can ask questions. It's not something you just kind of jump into. By all means, ask every question you need to. Find out the facts. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's kind of important. You know, explore and investigate and, and find out the truth. And then you will get to a point where hopefully you'll, you'll realize, wow, all the evidence stacks up. And now I'm faced with a decision. Will I put the full weight of my life and my eternity completely on Jesus? Who he is and what he's done. Am I prepared to trust that because he died and God said that that was for me, that his promise of forgiveness and his promise of life is mine if I trust? Am I prepared to trust? You see, becoming a Christian is not about becoming something or achieving something or trying harder or getting better. It's about recognizing I've got no plan that I can trust for eternity. But God's offered me one. And that plan involved Jesus dying in my place on the cross, rising from the dead and offering me forgiveness and life. Am I prepared to trust that? Am I prepared to put the full weight of my existence and my eternity completely on Jesus? No plan B. Whoever believes, whoever, you don't have to be 
like Nick, remember Nick I mentioned earlier, he was educated and powerful and successful and influential. None of that mattered, which means if you're not super educated, powerful, influential and all the rest of it, doesn't matter. You might say, well, I'm not as good as other people at this, or I'm not as attractive as them, or I'm not as... doesn't matter. From God's perspective, he loves you enough to give his son to die for you. The question isn't, are you good enough? The answer to that is no. The question is, are you prepared to trust God's plan? Because whoever, and that can include you, whoever believes will not perish, that is, go through this life and head into eternity with no hope, with no Jesus, heading into judgment with no answer for the sins that are on our record. If we believe, then we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. Notice that's present tense, that word have. It's not just future, it's present. And so the testimonies we heard, we're talking about how Jesus is changing my life now. And I've got this feeling inside of me and I love him now. That's the life of God that comes in to us. Let me just change that. I'm not in the habit of changing the Bible, but it, it, you'll see why in a second. If I just change that have to receive, then it kind of rhymes and it helps us remember it. It doesn't change the meaning. But God so loved that he gave. And if we believe then we receive. That's the Christian message. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't achieve it. You've got to open your heart and open your hands and say, okay, I'm ready to receive this gift. And you see that message, as it gets shared in conversations all around the world, in coffee shops with Bibles open, and you know, old people's homes in schools, as people pick up Bibles in hotel rooms and read about it, they turn on the radio, watch TV, they hear this message, and people, one by one, in their millions, are trusting Christ and receiving eternal life. That's a good deal, don't you think? That's why the gospel, the good news, is uncontainable. Because it's God's gift from his heart of love to us, the gift of his son and the gift of eternal life, which is life now, the life of God within that will carry us for all eternity. I want to say thank you to all six who shared their testimony earlier. So powerful, so helpful for us. I want to say thank you to all six for acting out the reality of what Jesus has done for us in the baptism. But I want to ask you, where do you stand? Where are you in relation to John 3.16? God loved, God gave. That's happened. The bit that's open is the second half. Whoever believes, receives. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you for your sin? Have you put the full weight of your existence and your eternity onto him? Because that offer is there for all of us. And if you want to talk to someone about that, talk to me, talk to Nathan, Andy, anybody you've seen up front, we'd love to answer any questions. But we'd love this verse to not just be one you've heard, not just one you see in a, in a crowd on a sign or, or, or you know, kind of on the internet. We want it to be the truth that grabs your heart, changes your life, and gives you 
the only thing that can truly satisfy life to the full, the eternal life that God wants you to have.